Funkenstein Clinton, and you're listening to WMNS Tampa. They do the dog, y'all. Hi, this is Miss Julie. Our week-long Summer Fun membership drive is from 9 a.m. to midnight on Tuesday, June 7th through Monday, June 14th. We are seeking food donors to help feed our hungry and grateful volunteers. Restaurants, caterers, or chefs can find out more about donating drinks, snacks, or individually packaged meals by calling me at 813-238-8001 or email M-I-S-S-J-U-L-I-E at WMNF.org. Thanks! Here comes the sun, here comes the sun, I say it's alright. Hello and welcome to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5, where every Monday at 11 we bring you a conversation with local experts on sustainable issues. Your hosts today are myself, Kenny Coogan, and the amazing Annie Ellis. Yes sir, right here. And working the boards is Mr. Bill Grace. Today we are talking with Shannon Goins and Amy Sweda, who have been conducting grant-funded scientific research on microplastics in Tampa Bay and neighboring waters for several years. Part of their work includes how to build awareness about the negative environmental impacts on plastic waste and encourage the public to reduce consumption. Hi, it's uh, me, Annie, and uh, Shannon. I would like to introduce them. Uh, Shannon is a professor of marine science and biology at Eckerd College, and Amy is an associate professor of marine science there as well. Both lead the Tampa Bay Microplastics Monitoring Project and Reduced Single-Use Project at Eckerd College. I just love that. Welcome to the program, you guys. We're happy to be here. Thank you for having us. Oh, we're so thrilled. Um, I, this is amazing. Uh, I'm just so glad that this was brought to our attention so we can bring it to everybody else's attention. Um, you guys, uh, I want to just say congratulations on being awarded of the nearly $500,000 grant from the Environmental Protection Agency to help change plastic consumption in Pinellas County. That's fantastic. And what my one of my questions personally was, did you know about the grant availability and followed the guidelines to qualify or the opposite, like look for the grant after going into your reduced waste pledge? We've been working on reduced single use or reducing single use for a while here now at Eckerd. Um, in 2018, Shannon and I, this is Amy talking, but Shannon and I uh, started the reduced single use project with funding from the NOAA Marine Debris Program. And so we had this project in mind and went searching for opportunities uh, to continue funding our work and to really take what we've been doing here on Eckerd's campus and bring it out into the local community. Very good. What was that called again? I couldn't really quite hear you. Was that, uh, you said it was the reduced use and it was a particular no debris? Um, so, yes. Yeah, so the NOAA, the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, uh -huh. 
Um, part of the federal government has a marine debris program that funds a lot of different um, restoration, removal, uh, education type projects related to, and research projects related to plastics in the environment. Oh, very good. That's wonderful. That's a great source for everybody to go to and check out. I love that. Um, now, how do other, or how and where, do others look for grants to get help for being sustainable? I mean, I'm just curious about the grant system, actually. So it's, it's Shannon here, and our grants have been largely uh, focused on the marine environment because we are both marine scientists. Mm -hmm. So we've been looking at ways to uh, take ideas that may be percolating out there and add, make them work larger. Mm -hmm. So we've had funding from, as Amy said, the NOAA Marine Debris Program. And our next uh, grant is from the EPA, uh, looking at their trash-free waters program. So for larger scale things, there are quite a few grants out there, but there's also a number of mini grants out there from a number of different organizations. And those can be really helpful for small community groups to get going. So Tampa Bay Estuary Program runs a mini grant program that's looking for very small grants um, for very local programs. Programs. Uh, Tampa Bay Water also has another similar program that's looking at things that impact our water source, our drinking water sources. So there's quite a few out there, mm -hmm. but it can be a lot to, to navigate them and to figure out how to write, the, write these grants well. Yeah, that was really why I was asking, because I know we, to, to find the grants is hard, and then to, to follow all the the you know, dot your I's and cross your T's can be a little overwhelming. Um, I was wondering also, um, how can other campuses follow your sustainable path? Um, should they also sign a pledge? And um, is it necessary for other institutions to conduct their own internal audit before pledging to stop single-use plastics? Or should, That's a great or should they just assume that they're using too many single-use well, plastics? <laughs> I was so happy when I read all the things that you get, you guys cut out. I mean, that was thrilled out of my mind, seriously. So. Well, that's a great that's a great question about other campuses. The goal of our first NOAA Marine Debris Program grant was to get us on Eckerd College's campus to think about reducing our plastic consumption, mm -hmm. which led to us signing a commitment to break free from plastic and to not purchase um, unnecessary single-use plastics with college funds. I will say that COVID has put a wrench in things and yeah. we are working to claw back from that mm -hmm. on this campus. And But the goal was then to set a stage for other colleges, particularly in Florida, but then nationally and, and globally to think about how to reduce plastic consumption. And we saw it when Shannon and I started this out, we saw it as, as college students being that great community of people to make that change. They're moving away from home for the first time, making a lot of their own purchasing decisions. And so they can start changing their behaviors and then have that be sustained throughout their lives. And um, so our second No Marine Debris Grant was uh, and currently is, we're still working with colleagues from the University of North Florida in Jacksonville to take what we've learned here at Eckerd and it on a larger um, public university campus to see if we can can take those lessons learned and if, if they'll work in that larger community setting. Oh, that's a good idea. Um, so 
so what was the name of that? You, you, you breaking up a little bit for me. Uh, so what's the? You're saying that you're going to take that system up to Gainesville to the colleges and as and see if their students can start doing that. And that would be with the app that y'all have. Well, we're working. We're working with the University of North Florida in University Jacksonville, North Florida. Okay. Yes, and um, and yeah, we are working with a prototype app that we have. Um, so this is the start of the project that we're about to start with the EPA. Um, we've been working with the prototype app to get students thinking about their plastic consumption and making them feel a little more accountable. Uh-huh about their plastic consumption by recording it in an app. Yeah, it's really surprising how much you do and you don't realize it. And so it, it, so in, nine, or in 2019, the Eckerd College president, Donald Eastman, he signed the pledge, which we're talking about, and then that prohibited single-use beverage bottles, plates, utensils, cups, shopping bags, hot beverage packets and plastic, plastic shipping and packing materials, balloons, glow sticks, glitter, you know those college kids love those <laughs> yes, sticks and glitter. And that's the worst. I know, and I used to be guilty about using that stuff. So my question is, how much research and what did you give the president before he agreed to sign this pledge? One of the things that we had to do is we went and we also worked with a number of students who helped us with this. But it took going out and talking to pretty much every different part of the uh, college, not just the academic side, but looking at student life, looking at marketing, looking at admissions, and seeing what kind of plastic were they using, and where were there ways that we could help them find different alternatives. Because unfortunately, if you go in and basically just say, you can't use any more of this, you don't get uh agreement and follow through uh, as frequently as if you can work with people and have people be willing to be committing with you. So it was a lot of outreach beforehand. We also had to have a real groundswell of people that were clearly already reducing those kinds of plastic and not needing those kinds of plastic that said, okay, we can do this. And, and the Reducing Single-Use Plastic Project is collaborating with local partners to apply the strategies in St. Petersburg. So who are some of the local partners who are helping you with this uh, goal? A key partner that we work with is Keep Pinellas Beautiful. And we work with them because they do a lot of beach cleanups and they are really critical for uh, helping us share the message so that people when they see the plastic that they're cleaning up along our shorelines that will help um, when we have the app to share out okay so we see the problem but how, what is a solution and so reducing our plastic uh, from the from being used in the first place stops it from being out in the bay so that's a key um, a key partner we're also working with Tampa Bay watch uh, both their facility out in um, um, Tierra Verde, but also down at the pier. And that's a lot of education and outreach. There's so many people going through those facilities. So again, if we can help people reduce their plastic and they have uh, an organ, they have a branch that's involved with working on marine debris. So again, it fit very well. We're also working with Tampa Bay Estuary Program, who's working on another um trash-free waters program to try and come up with a, a plan to deal with marine litter in Tampa Bay. 
And then also working with a lot of organizations that are uh, environmentally focused organizations that are out in the community and that um, are great ways to share the message beyond people who uh, we often are reaching out in terms of the marine scenario. So we're working with the St. Pete Youth Farm and the Arts Conservancy for Teens. And we've also partnered with uh, Sun Coast Rise Above Plastic, which is a coalition of a lot of different organizations that are all concerned about plastic. Do you think that St. Petersburg is more environmentally conscious than maybe other parts of Central Florida because you're right on the water? Well, I think there have been a lot of active community members and with the progress toward um, banning straws in the city of St. Petersburg and then the work to reduce styrofoam use uh, in St. Petersburg as well. So there's a lot of forward thinking people uh, in the government making, you know, pushing that forward. And so we've got a, a groundswell that's already starting. And so I think it will be exciting to, to move this forward in the community as well. Wonderful. I want to remind listeners that they're listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guests are Shannon Goins and Amy Suida, professors at Eckerd College. We're talking about microplastics in our Tampa waters. If you have seen trash or microplastics in the waters <laughs> and want to be part of the conversation, or if you have solutions. Can you see microplastics <laughs> in the water? I don't know. <laughs> give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. So Shannon and Amy, can you see microplastics in the water? <laughs> well, or can you some see of the them effects? you can. So, so microplastics in the science literature is defined as plastics smaller than five millimeters. So we're looking at plastics about the size of your fingernail or a pencil okay. um, eraser. So some of them you can see, but in our work doing monitoring of microplastics, there's a lot of plastics that are far smaller than that, that we can't see with our, with our naked eye. We have to use specialized microscopes to be able to see them. And some of those plastics are plastics that were designed in their original purpose to be small and others are the plastic that has gone in as bigger pieces and then degraded in the environment. So if you've ever tried to pick up a plastic bag that's been outside in the environment for a while and see how it just shreds all apart, that's where we're getting some of the, the idea of where we're getting a lot of those microplastics that are getting smaller and smaller. So, uh, since we're talking about microplastics, uh, so my thought, see, on microplastics was it's uh, micro. And so, it's so small that, you know, we're ingesting it. It's getting in us. Uh, the animals have it in them. The, uh, we're getting it in the foods that we eat. And so, we now have it inside of us as human beings. Is that, is that something I'm just making up or is that a real thing? Well, that's true. I it's, so. Microplastics are everywhere. Yeah. Um, so there are numerous studies in the scientific literature that demonstrate that organisms from our tiniest microscopic organisms all the way up to big whales are ingesting plastics and ingesting microplastics. Ugh. And, um, and clearly we're ingesting them as well. The questions remain still about understanding the causation between microplastic ingestion and potential harm. 
and there's definitely correlation, but we're still as a scientific community trying to learn and understand what the what the impacts of ingesting plastic are for all different types of organisms. That makes sense because then uh, when you uh, prove that it's going to be detrimental to us as humans, because that's how uh, people <laughs> respond to it, you know, the ones with the money and the government and all that sort of thing, uh, then then they will perhaps look at it a little closer and do something about it. Um, you know, really, uh, what we're talking about, the biggest thing for you today, uh, I think, is, I mean, it's all huge. The plastic is just upsetting all the way around. But the big headline is that uh, with this nearly half million dollar grant from the EPA, Trash-Free Waters Program, the reduced single-use project is in the process of developing a mobile app. And people love apps. So what what you got there? (laughs) So the idea of our app came from some of our work with our students where we were trying to conduct a plastic reduction challenge where we'd encourage students to reduce their plastic use for a week. And when we first started off and looked online and what was available about plastic reduction challenges, what we largely saw were places where, hey, reduce your plastic um, plastic use. So hit this button and yay, you've taken a pledge to reduce your plastic. <laughs> but there was no accountability or anything like that afterwards. It was like, yes, I could feel good. I hit the button. But if you're not following through on anything, then you haven't actually made a change. So we started out with our students with pencil and paper and asking them to tally, da- tally out what types of plastic they used and refused during a week. And very quickly they said, is there an app for this? This would be so much easier on our phones. So that got us along this process. And we've developed a prototype app that shows that the idea is solid. What we need now is a a really functional app that people are going to enjoy using. And we're, we're very excited to get this moving forward because when we've talked to people, um, both in the local area and, and internationally, as we, we've talked to our connections, um, people are really excited by this. Mm-hmm. A, it provides that individual accountability to the person. So, you know, when you go into Starbucks, are you going to use their plastic cup or are you able to bring your own? Um, when you go to the grocery store, are you bringing your own bags or are you taking their bags? It, it provides that accountability for you to document what you're doing. But on the back side, what it provides is data. And so we can look at things because with the, the new app, the data will be geolocated and georeferenced. So we can look at things like St. Petersburg has a straw ban. So we can look at seeing at how many people are using and potentially refu- and refusing straws in St. Petersburg and perhaps compare that to the city of Gulfport. Or we have colleagues in, um, in Mobile, who want to use it there so we can see how does that how does that change um, if there are uh, policies in place so we're so excited with those kinds of things is that in mobile alabama <laughs> the 
that's co- colleagues that want to do it in Mobile, Alabama. Well, we have awesome. people all That's over. where I was raised. I'm just happy, <laughs> happy that Alabama's stepping up. You know, I never expect that. So uh, it just know, it I, just I, seems that we mention Alabama every I week know, on the show. Odd that people keep bringing. I'm like really happy because I left as soon as I could. You know, <laughs> and so I'm really happy that they're stepping up a little bit in in a lot of ways. It's fantastic. I'm really surprised. Can you tell us the timeline of when you made the prototype, when you were awarded the nearly half a million dollar grant, and when you think the new app will be ready? Sure. So the the prototype sort of started to come into play. We started using it a little bit on Eckerd College's campus in 2019. We've started using it at UNF and Eckerd over this past year. And um, we were awarded this EPA, Trash Free Waters Grant, to develop a new version of the app in March. And uh, we had applied, you know, over half a year earlier. And we, so we found out in March and we've been working, we had to identify an app developer to work with. We're in the process of moving forward with that. And we're hoping to launch sometime in the fall. Oh, that seems fast. It does seem it's fast. It's exciting. It is exciting, <laughs> you know, because nobody uh, in that age group is going to run around with a piece of uh, paper and pen. <laughs> you know, uh, that's not going to happen. I mean, I'm a paper person, but still, you know, it's also, it's like a single use thing. So there again, we're reducing the waste by using the mm-hmm. app and our phones. That's way good. What percentage of the grant is going to be used to create the app compared to analyzing the data About about two-fifths of the grant is in getting the app developed. When we were looking into this, one of the things we kept getting told by other organizations that had developed apps is don't scrimp on the app development because, as you probably know, um, the Apple Store and the Google Play are filled with all kinds of apps that don't get downloaded or or you download it and use it a couple times and then you stop because it's it's not working very well it's not not enjoyable so we really wanted to put a big effort into getting an app that was really very exciting and interesting and to use and that would have people being enthusiastic about using it so we have a lot of it put into that app development so that it's something people want to use it was also really important to us that we have it developed both for Android and for iPhone at the same time yeah. so that everybody could use it and not have part of the community feeling left out. Yeah, that's a good plan. And 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 it turns out that we've actually found a local app developer. So they're really excited to work with us on this project and, um, and excited to use it as well. So that, you know, having it be a sort of hometown, homegrown thing will be will be a great addition to the project so great you know uh, think global act local that's really wonderful that you did i need to do a little our little reintroduction please i am annie ellis and you're listening to the sustainable living show on wmnf 88.5 today's guests are shannon goen and amy sweda 
uh, professors at Eckerd's College were talking about microplastics in our Tampa waters. If you want to be part of the conversation, please give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on the air. And now we have a little message from Bill. Yeah. We can tell by the smile on your face that you're enjoying sustainable living and you're wondering how can you show your support. Just go to the website wmnf.org and click on the tip jar at the top of the screen. Be sure to direct your donation to SUL for Sustainable Living. It'll be borderline narcissism how much you will love yourself for supporting WMNF Tampa and the Sustainable Living Show. I love that. (laughs) So, Shannon and Amy, how is reducing single-use plastic consumption on college campuses related to marine science and ocean health compared to other marine litter like rubber and styrofoam and metal? Why are we, it seems like, not you, but generally speaking, we're more concerned about microplastics than other litter. Other pollution. Yeah. Well, we're actually concerned about all kinds of different pollution. And, and styrofoam is actually plastic. Uh, a good portion of, our, of the oh. debris out there is plastic. Um, as we have just transformed our lives to using plastic in so many different ways, yeah. that's how, what we're seeing in the ocean. And initially, when we started looking at um, marine debris, there was a lot of concern about uh, monofilament line and in animals getting entangled in plastic and seeing the things like the, the six-pack rings around seals' necks and things like that. Mm. And that is still uh, very much a concern. But as we've looked more and more, what we see is that plastic is problematic in so many different ways. For so many of the, the reasons why plastic is useful to us and why we want to use plastic, it makes it really damaging in the marine environment. One of the things, it's incredibly uh, durable, so it doesn't break down into its component parts. So that's some of the reasons why we like it. But that means that instead of breaking down like an apple would and decompose into things that are good for our gardens, um, plastic is just going to break down into these smaller and smaller plastic pieces. Mm. So the fact that it it is durable um, is, is one of the things that makes it problematic. It also is composed of a lot of different compounds and it can be so flexible and do so many different things. So we've have all kinds of different additives that get put into plastic and it can have so many different forms that there's just a whole wealth of different chemicals out there. So those kinds of chemicals can leach out of the plastic into the environment as well. So that's another problem with plastic. So you're probably familiar with not drinking out of bottles with bisphenol A or that BPA. That's one of those additives in plastic. And we don't want to drink it and have it in our bodies, but we don't want it in the marine environment either. So that's another piece about plastic is that it goes out into the environment and can can 
put out all of these other pollutants. Wow, it's like the off-gassing thing. I hadn't even considered that till you just said it. You know, I was I wanted to just backtrack just for a second because you know we had talked about uh, recycling and such. Uh, I think it was last week, wasn't it? And uh, one of the things they said was uh, was brought up. Or I think Kenny brought it up. Was green wishing, and so yeah. like when people green washing, green washing, mm-hmm. and yeah. so people are you know thinking that they're doing something by just agreeing to uh, you know just to to reduce their use rather than making the commitment to actually do so. And I do know, for me, anything, if I write down, it's going to be in my face a lot more than if not. So I just, I'm just really thrilled about this, uh, this uh, app that you guys so are getting. So the app will help people reduce plastic consumption By, because they're going to be they're, they're going to be it. self-monitoring. Yeah. And then will the app give them suggestions? Like or? feedback? So our hope is we're developing the app and we're just in the early stages of that development now, but we've had lots of conversations with our students here on campus and with others who have tried out the prototype app with ideas for things for it. And so the hope is that you're recording your uses and refusals. Mm, So you're even getting refusals too. So, So if you're good about reducing your plastic, there's a reason to use this as well and to keep track of that. And, and, see how you're doing. Hopefully the app will, our plan is to have the app track your personal use or refusal so you can see how you're doing through time. So, you know, hopefully changing your behaviors through time, you'll be able to compete with friends or other organizations or between organizations. Oh, that's a great idea. And um, and you'll also, uh, we're going to be able to share out that not only are you being able to see how much plastic you've reduced and refused over time, but that you're part of a bigger group. So you mm-hmm. may feel like you, you're not doing much on your own, but because we can pull together all the users and tell people, hey, together we refused this much plastic, you can see that you're part of a bigger action. Oh, I love that because a lot of people do feel like they don't, are not doing anything, mm-hmm. but then when they are in the group, they can see that just their bit makes uh, parts of the big bits. That's wonderful. Maybe you can make the app like a video game where you're a sea turtle, and then the more you use plastic, <laughs> your levels go weaker and weaker, and then this little sea turtle dies. Oh, no. <laughs> no, well, the app developers will die. <laughs> The app developers were using one of the first words they they <laughs> talked about was gamification and uh. said that's really the way things are going. So <laughs> it becomes a game that people want to do. Yeah. So it's not just something that you dread uh, having to deal with plastic, but you can actually enjoy it. So that's part of that idea of being able to compete with different teams, etc. Yeah. So you mentioned that it's going to track your location, so then you can know how your neighbors are doing and how your community's <laughs> yeah, we doing. Go over to their house and knock on the door. <laughs> not your, not your hey, physical neighbors, there. but <laughs> the people in your community. So who else? So you're going to receive the data. Are you going to? Who, is anyone else going to receive the data? Yeah, and then what do they do with it? <laughs> our first, our first initial start is that Amy and I will be the ones who will be able to see the data. But we're setting up the the structure so that as we get more and more of the pieces together, uh, this would be freely available on the web and so that anybody could download and use that data, whether that's for policy purposes, whether that's for lobbying, 
or if they want to do a scientific study and say, how are we doing with plastic reduction? So that's, that's our goal. Uh, in the immediate future, it's, it's just going to be Amy and I as we get the app out there and being used and check through any, any of the, the hiccups that we have to go through. But that is our goal is to make it freely available for anybody. And the intent, though, is to have those data available, you know, by zip code mm -hmm. or something okay. like that. So you're not yeah. necessarily tracking an individual's <laughs> use. Um, I want them to come to my house and see how good I'm doing. <laughs> it's, it's anonymous data collection to share how a community is doing. Yeah. So that kind of brings us to the next point. So do you believe that an individual's responsibility to reduce plastic consumption is... It should be greater than the government's job to regulate plastic availability? Good, good question, Kenny. It's one of those things that what we've found here at Eckert is that we have a much bigger impact when there's a policy decision that affects everyone. But those policy decisions aren't going to be made unless there's a lot of people that are arguing for that they want to see this change. So what we see is, it, is it's kind of a, a process where if you have a lot of people that are pushing to see this change happen, if you can document that there's a groundswell of support for the change, then policies can get put in place and then you can make a much bigger impact. We see the similar thing um, if we look at the marketplace. Um, as businesses see that there is a demand for these plastic-free items, that there will be more and more businesses that are willing to produce uh, items without plastic or without plastic packaging. So again, by documenting that there is this community that wants to reduce their plastic, then we can see those larger changes uh, going forward. One definition of sustainability is it's the balance of people, the planet, and profit. So I don't know if when you went to the president of Eckerd, did you mention that having stuff that you can reuse would be more profitable down the line so you don't have to keep buying these one single-use plastics? Or is it more expensive to, to do the single-use? I think we were able to demonstrate within disciplines and divisions at the college beforehand in talking with them about alternative items that they could make changes that wouldn't impact their budgets. Uh, and, you know, there might be a need to spend a little upfront in some cases, mm -hmm. but in the long run, it would definitely save money. Yeah, I would really think, too, when you were talking about how it was going to impact how uh, businesses are going to create their product, mm -hmm. that that would be something that green thinking people will then lean into and then stop buying the ones that aren't and go with that. I mean, that just seems like a, a real bonus to me. I can't imagine that not being positive. So yeah, I definitely, oh, I no. was going to say, I definitely make choices about I do too. restaurants to eat at. Absolutely. And the ingredients stores. Are, yeah. Yep. And the ingredients that are in the product. Mm -hmm. I mean, if I spy sure. palm oil on something, it's a no-go for me. So, you know, I would imagine uh, a lot. I don't think that Kenny and I are the only two that are thinking that way. <laughs> oh, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, hopefully not. We'll be in that good zip code that everybody's doing good. I, I didn't get the BOGO peanut butter this week because it has palm oil. See, <laughs> I know. I just found that out in one of the products I use, too. And I'm like, oh, bummer. So, 
um, you're measuring Tampa Bay, which is connected to the Gulf, which is connected to all the other oceans and bodies of water. Have you done any research or do you know, is the Gulf disproportionately polluted in microplastics or, you know, compared to like, let's say the Atlantic Ocean? I don't think anyone's done that level of work. Um, what we do see very much on a global scale, and this is not our work, is that there is greater plastic pollution downstream of rivers where there isn't very efficient waste collection. Oh. So in, in North America, or at least definitely in the United States and Canada, most of us have pretty efficient waste collection services. There's going to be a truck that's going to come by and pick up our garbage. So it's not just being left everywhere. And it's not onerously expensive for any individual to properly dispose of their trash. Reality is lots of parts of the world, it is not that way. So trash doesn't get disposed of properly. So if we're looking on a global scale, that's where we see a lot of the, the really high densities of plastic pollution. But that doesn't mean that that plastic isn't going to flow around to everywhere because the oceans are all interconnected. Yeah. And so um, the Gulf of Mexico might not be, you know, on the most polluted places, but that doesn't mean that we should just not worry about it. Well, yeah, because if we just keep going the same way we're going, unless we change it, it's definitely going to be everywhere. I mean, you know, from someplace to here. No doubt. Mm-hmm. So the goal of the app is to come out this fall. And if listeners don't live in St. Petersburg, can they still use the app? Definitely. So as we mentioned, we have colleagues in Mobile, Alabama that are excited to use it. It's being designed such that it will be globally available and can be used by anyone anywhere. And um, it's just that this particular grant that we have to start the project off is focused here in St. Pete where we are located. But we look forward to spreading its use nationally and internationally. Do you know the name? Do you have a name for the app so people can Google it in the fall to add to their phones? We're um, going to to be releasing the, the name. Um, we're, we're looking at it being Remora. Um, Can you spell that, please? R-E-M-O-R-A? Yes. Yes. The fish that attaches to and cleans the uh, animals? Yes, it's the cleaner fish that that, um, cleans out the marine environment. So we thought that that was a good thing. And it's a recognition that we can do more with less and that we can um, tie into that reduce uh, aspect. Yeah. And we will, we are, we have a website, the Reduce Single Use Project has a website, it's reduce.eckerd.edu, and we'll be posting updates as the app is being developed to let people know about when it is going to be released. Very good. We want to remind listeners that you are listening to the Sustainable Living Show on WMNF Tampa 88.5. Today's guests are Shannon Goins and Amy Sweeta, professors at Eckerd College. We are talking about microplastics in our Tampa waters. If you want to be part of the conversation, give us a call at 813 239 
or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org and we will read it on air. And I do have a email. Oh, good. It says, hello, Kenny and Annie. Will you please ask your guests about the city of Tampa? Are there plastics going into the roadside ponds and the blue sink from uh, runway, et cetera, like the storm sewers that filter down into the bay? What can we do so this doesn't go from these sources into the aquifer and our drinking water? Yeah. That's a lot of oil. Thank you, Bev Keeney, for that question. Excellent question. Well, the reality is, yes, um, there are plastics in the environment everywhere, and uh, they are uh, just as present in Tampa as in um, other places. Mm -hmm. And we do certainly see that runoff is a key source of those microplastics into Tampa Bay. Um, The Sewer system is well treated and the water has uh, relatively low plastic when it is released from the, the water treatment plants. But the runoff, those storm sewer systems yeah. are relatively um, unfiltered at all. Yeah. So uh, the way I, I usually say it is I go back to Finding Nemo and that Gil had it right. All drains do lead to the ocean. Mm-hmm. And so we are going to find what's on our land ends up in the in the water. And especially over the last two years, I'm sure everyone in the listening audience can think about seeing a plastic mask laying on the ground. And oh, when yeah. it rains, that's going, at least in this area, is going to go into our storm sewers and straight out into Tampa Bay. Absolutely. And so how do we how do we change that? That's what we hope to do with this app is we need to reduce our plastic consumption. Shannon and I started studying microplastics in Tampa Bay to understand the levels of contamination, but there's not an easy way to clean it up. The way we have to deal with that is reduce our plastic use on land so that it's not making its way into the water. Yeah. And we do have a caller from Sarasota. Hi, Dell. Welcome to the program. Oh, hello. Hi. Uh, I was I was listening earlier and I got to got to work and I had this this feeling about microplastics that you know all the oceans like all of us are one. And to them, the oceans, a big huge Gatorade bottle is a microplastic. <laughs> wow. It, and it and it will break down into smaller and smaller pieces. Correct, but that was that was yeah. just my thought. Yeah, my thought that it's actually a big, huge Gatorade Gatorade bottle to them is a, is a microplastic. Huh, I never thought of it that way, but you know, maybe I think differently. But okay. thanks, I okay. appreciate your thought. thought. It's yeah. good that you're thinking about it. Thank you for yeah. calling in. And I pick up trash all the time. Yay for you! Good job. Have a great day. Thank you Thank very much. You. Thank you. I saw a picture in the paper the other day of this guy that goes around his neighborhood and picks up trash all over his neighborhood every week uh, to keep his neighborhood clean. I just loved him. That's very good. Yeah. So, Shannon and Amy, how do you personally monitor microplastics in bodies of water? <laughs> we have a team. <laughs> we have, we have well, a team. Well, they're the scientists. <laughs> Well, we have a wonderful team of students that help us. And what we do is every other month we go out into Tampa Bay and we uh, collect samples. We collect a number of different types of samples, 
One of the things that we do is we do a net tow that allows us to collect plastics that are floating at the surface. Mm -hmm. These are typically the plastics that you can see with your eyes. So uh, chunks of styrofoam that have uh, somebody's cooler broke apart and got flew out. Uh, water bottles, those kinds of things, little bits of fishing line we often see, uh, pieces of bags. So we can look at uh, that using the net that collects up those larger pieces. We also take a uh, five-gallon bucket of water. And when we look at that bucket of water, it doesn't look like there's any contamination and any plastic in it. But when we filter it and look with those microscopes, we can actually identify several pieces of plastic in um, those, those five-gallon buckets of water. So we see it there. We also collect from the sediments in the bottom of Tampa Bay and see, because oh. a lot of plastics float, but not all plastics float. So some of it is sinking down to, to the bottom of, this, of Tampa Bay. And one of the things that we've found in the bottom of Tampa Bay is pieces of, of tire, tire pieces. We all know we have to replace our tires every so often, but we don't really think about where does that stuff go? Where did that tire go to that's worn away? And a lot of it ends up breaking off in small pieces, ending up on the roads. And when it rains, that's going to wash into the, into the storm sewers and end up in our bays. How long have you been studying microplastics in uh, Pinellas County? We started our projects to, study, to monitor microplastics with a grant from the Tampa Bay Estuary Program through the Tampa Bay Environmental Restoration Fund in 2017. 2017. And we have continued that monitoring since. Have you been able to see any trends over the years? So that's the funny thing is there's... there's um, Tampa Bay is a pretty well-mixed estuary, and so we don't see a lot of trends across the bay. We see a little bit associated with the rainy season, um, therefore runoff, bringing more plastics into the bay. And then um, we hadn't seen, with monitoring programs, you need to monitor for a long period of time to find trends in, in temporal trends and time. Um, but we have had a few periods where we've sampled and we've gotten a few spikes from incidents that have happened locally. Like Gasparilla? <laughs> or or, or um, we got some high concentrations after the Piney Point discharge. Oh, mm -hmm. yes. Yeah, the discharge. Which was surprising to us. Um, of plastics? You would just yes. have thought it would have been the chemicals, right? Yes. Um, yeah. Yep. Plastics. And then now the concentrations are back down to what we've typically seen. Hmm. We have a, another email. Do you know if there's any filter currently being developed that a uh, city of Tampa resident could ask to be added to the end of the pipe or to storm sewers that dump into the bay? That would help reduce that would be nice. plastics? What we do see is there's a number of organizations that are putting um, things like water goats out. And what water goats are, are basically a, a net at the edge of a storm sewer outflow that collect up those floating plastics. And then people can go in and collect up the plastic afterwards. So Tampa Bay Estuary Program has been involved in um, putting in some of those kinds of 
uh, treatment systems. Um, there's a number of different community organizations that are, are doing that and then doing these cleanups. So I know there's one by Crescent Lake Park in St. Petersburg. There's another one. Um, um, there's but in, at the entrance to Clam Bayou in St. Petersburg as well. Uh, but those are some of the things that can help do those larger pieces and stop them from getting into the into the bay. Unfortunately, most of those systems are going to let the microplastics flow through. Yeah. So again, it's that just not using them stops us from having to do it, having to to clean it up in the first place. We have a, another email from Joe in Denver. And he oh, asks, nice. why doesn't the plastic industry go to plant-based plastics? And then the headline of his email is recycling myth of the month. Plant-based <laughs> bioplastics are not as green as some think from Oceana. Yeah. Yes. Yep. So the caller already knows or the emailer already yeah, knows that. He just wanted everybody to have an answer. Yeah, to so there are, there are a number of plant-based plastics. Um, some of them actually produce plastics that are exactly the same chemical composition as wow. fossil fuel-based plastics. So they degrade in the same way or don't degrade in the same way. Um, and then others require industrial composting facilities uh, for us in St. Petersburg and Pinellas County, we don't have a local industrial composting facility. So using those um, plant-based plastics doesn't really help with the process. Can you tell us how a plant-based plastic is made? Or how like, do, what is it? Well, yeah, why yeah. is it what, called that? Yeah, <laughs> if it's still kind of bad for the environment. Because you know, I was thinking too when you were when they were talking about that. It was like it's got to be hard enough uh, to last, you know, a longer period of time for it to be on the shelf. So, so there's that, right? So without getting into too much of the, the chemist, the detailed chemistry. So fossil fuels are have been. Uh, come over geological time from living organisms. So a lot of those key compounds are the same things that we see in plants. And so you can make plastic from fossil fuels or you can make plastic from things like corn. It's, it's using a lot of those same chemical molecules. The issue is when you make it into plastic, you can make it into plastic that has the exact same chemical signature as the material from fossil fuels. So those plant-based plastics are not using fossil fuels to produce them, but they're still not going to degrade or break down in so any way. So their actions are the same. I remember reading about that uh, uh, about that when uh, some, I think it was China, was making something and they were using exactly the same thing, but it was made in the lab and it was making people very sick. So same thing. We have another We have call. a caller Yay. and we have Robert from Bradington. Hello, Robert. Yeah, hello. I have a question and I'll hang up and listen to your response. What are lawmakers doing about any of this, if anything? Good question. Thanks, Robert. Thank you. We're on your side. So in St. Petersburg, we've had a lot of work done to, um, to try to reduce plastic consumption locally. And so um, there is a straw ban locally. And then on city property, uh, styrofoam is banned as well. Um, unfortunately, at the state level... Um, there's what we call a ban on bans. 
And so, <laughs> yeah, who's in at, government right now? <laughs> yes. So at the state level, um, it there is something in place that makes it such that local municipalities oh, can't ban some types of plastics. Wow. And um, and there are efforts going on right now, lobbying efforts going on right now to try to change that. Um, and there have been for years. And maybe we can get a bigger groundswell going to make these changes. So Shannon and Amy, you are professors at Eckerd College. I'm assuming you see lots of young college students. What is their attitude towards learning about microplastics? Are they horrified? Do they already know this? Do they... Do they even are, care? Yeah, are they apathetic? We see a mixture. Um, the vast majority have some knowledge, and we see that most of our students are happy to carry their reusable water bottle around and that. But as they learn more and more, uh, they are increasingly horrified at the situation. Yeah. We teach a class in, in um, January here where... We take students to uh, the wastewater treatment plant. We take them to the local recycling facility. We take them to the, to the solid waste uh, incinerator, waste to energy facility. And for them to just see where this goes is really eye-opening. And um, I think that, that those students are very much impacted by what they see. Scared to um, death. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, We had great conversations with the, that group of students of, okay, so what do we do? What kinds of things can we, can we purchase? How do we avoid making these mm-hmm. plastic purchases? And they're really excited and energized about going out and doing this. But they're also very cognizant of making sure when we're doing these changes that we keep that budgetary piece in line, that we can't make it so that plastic-free alternatives are only available for the wealthy. Yeah. That's not going to solve our problems either. We, we have to make it broadly available. Yeah, so we only have about a minute left. Shannon and Amy, can you each tell us what you think is the biggest thing an individual person can do to be a better steward for the planet regarding microplastics? Don't buy plastic, as I say. <laughs> always that's my answer and i think from our perspective it's also the education so we are doing our individual part but at the same time sharing this story with as many people Mm. as we can and that will then build this um this initiative. Yeah, make it uh, a regular part of your life. I wanted to, I, I'm thrilled that you guys were here. Thank you so much for being here and sharing all that you have to, to share. We'll let y'all know when that app comes out. Yeah. Can I'll, you tell us a website uh, or contact information for listeners to get in yeah, touch with you? Yeah, that'd be good. Sure. Our Reduce Single Use Project website is reduce.eckerd.edu. Very good. Thank you, guys. You're wonderful today. If you enjoyed this show and our weekly content, please consider going to WMNF.org, donating through the tip jar, and directing your donations to the Sustainable Living Show. Your donation helps keep us on air. Stick around for the next hour to hear WMNF's WMNF's Tampa's Monday Music. If you want to hear more public interest programming, you can switch over to WMNH's HD3 source 
channel, The Source, to listen to today's Tom Hartman Show live. Tune in next Monday morning at 11 for the next Sustainable Living Show, where we will be talking with Polk County Master Gardeners on summer gardening and recipes from the garden. Follow our Facebook page, Sustainable Living, WMNF, to stay in the loop. I am Kenny Coogan. And I am Annie Ellis. Remember, if you are looking for someone to save the world, look in the mirror. Bye-bye. Bye. Here comes the sun. Here comes the sun. I say it's all right.